This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 72. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's podcast, set your depositions unilaterally after asking for dates, how many times? Okay, a common question I get is this, how many times should we ask an opposing party or witness for deposition dates before we just set them unilaterally? There is no bright line rule on this. There's no federal rule on this, and I'm not aware of any state rule or case law that establishes a hard and fast standard. But here's our practice, and I recommend it to you as a general rule of thumb. We ask parties or witnesses for deposition dates five times before we will set a deposition unilaterally. On the third occasion, we tell them about our five request rule. We tell them we will ask twice more, following which we will immediately notice the depositions unilaterally. And of course, we stress the value and need for cooperation and we ask them to please work with us. If after our fifth request, we have not been offered dates, we set them unilaterally. Once we set them unilaterally, we tell the opposing party or witness that we remain open to mutually agreeable dates, but that we will not now release the unilaterally set date until we get dates from them that work. So from that point on, unless and until we get cooperation, we have our deposition dates properly noticed. Now, why five times? Well, here's my thinking. One or two requests for dates from an opposing party or witness are just normal. A third request, pretty much normal. A fourth request without binding dates starts to look, though, very much like a lack of cooperation. And a fifth request, in my view, and absent unusual circumstances, cements that, assuming that you've spaced out your five requests. In other words, five requests is not five times in one day or five days in a row, obviously. So after a fifth request, maybe waiting another day or two, we notice the depositions unilaterally. And again, we will not move them or release them unless we quickly get binding dates from the party or non-party. There are few judges that will criticize you for unilaterally setting depositions after five separate requests, especially when you warned the witness or party when you made your third request that there would be just two more followed by unilateral scheduling. So you're giving them lots of opportunity to work with you and lots of notice about what's to come if they don't. Now, six requests, I should add, seems a little ridiculous, and that's why we settled on five as the magic number. Now, I know some of you, I can literally hear you right now in your cars or offices saying, even five is too many. Certainly, there are circumstances where fewer might be okay. Maybe the lawyers have said they are not going to cooperate with you. That changes the number of times you need to ask. But absent unusual circumstances, five will be enough and is the right number. And you can space those requests, those five requests for dates, out over a period of a couple weeks. And I also say five because I'm mindful, as you surely are, that there is nothing that judges dislike more than getting involved in discovery squabbles, especially squabbles about where or when depositions take place. You probably remember the rock, paper, scissors order from a federal judge in the Middle District of Florida some years ago. Uh, because the lawyers could not agree on the location of a 30B6 deposition, the judge ordered the lawyers to meet, if necessary, on the front steps of the federal courthouse in Tampa and play a game of rock, paper, scissors 
the winner of which would get to choose the location of the deposition. That's the Avista management case in the show note. You probably don't want a published opinion like that to be your legacy. And let me share some quick thoughts about why it's actually critically important to unilaterally set depositions once you've given a witness or party five opportunities without success. First, I understand that setting things unilaterally might give some lawyers heartburn. We want to be seen as cooperative. But the obligation to get depositions scheduled and taken belongs to who? You, me, us. It's not our opponent's duty to make sure that our depositions get set. You don't have to worry about being seen as uncooperative if you've given them five bites at the apple to make things happen. And remember, using the approach I advocate, I will still work with an opposing lawyer to the extent I can, even after I unilaterally notice depositions, to work out mutually agreeable dates. But in the meantime, my depositions are set. Second point, the federal rules and most state court rules do not require mutual agreement on a deposition date in order for you to notice them. They only require reasonable notice. That's a significant point to remember about how the rules are drafted. And that's the lesson from the Chenevert, C-H-E-N-E-V-E-R-T case in the show notes. To quote the judge there, depositions are usually set on dates that are convenient to both the deponent and all counsel. However, Rule 30 does not require that depositions be set only on convenient dates. Rule 30B only requires that reasonable notice be given." Close quote. Now, of course, some local rules, state and federal, may outline a procedure for scheduling depositions or for resolving scheduling disputes. So, of course, be sure to check your local rules as part of this process. Third, and another critical point, noticing depositions sets in motion a procedure that a witness or party must follow to now avoid your deposition. They've got to file a motion for protective order and risk sanctions if they don't and fail to appear. That's the framework that the rules provide once you notice the deposition. There is no framework that addresses informal requests for deposition dates. So an adversary or witness can ignore your informal requests for dates forever in a day without consequence. So set that formal framework for depositions in motion by unilaterally noticing. One federal court, it's the auto owner's case in the show notes, said that if you don't notice depositions, you don't really have a basis to ask the court to help you out. In the auto owner's case, the plaintiff apparently repeatedly asked the adversary for deposition dates to no avail. So the plaintiff moves for an order compelling the defendant to cooperate and to provide dates. What does the court say? Well, it says the plaintiff here has not served notices of depositions for the folks they want. And the court goes on to say that it's not aware of any provision for a motion to compel one side to provide dates to the other. And finally added that informal requests for deposition dates did not appear to be a proper basis for the court to enter an order compelling a different informal response, the first one being simply ignoring them, the second one meaning to talk to them about dates. Now obviously a judge has the power to order someone, a party or a witness, to cooperate in the discovery process. Judges have inherent power to do that. So I think the court in the auto owner's case was simply sending a message to the lawyers to use the procedures set out by the rules. 
informally try to cooperate if you can, but if you can't get informal prompt cooperation, notice your deposition. Let the witness or party move for a protective order. That is exactly what the rules contemplate. All right, so now some additional thoughts on this and about other situations you might encounter in trying to set depositions, specifically where opposing lawyers or parties aren't simply ignoring you, but are giving you what seems like plausible sounding reasons for failing to provide dates. A common one you'll hear from lawyers is that they have to check with the deponents to see when they're available. Well, that's okay, obviously. Still, I shouldn't have to ask five times over a period of weeks on that ground. Sometimes lawyers will serve a notice of unavailability as if to unilaterally declare that some period of time during your discovery phase isn't available for depositions. Well, some courts have said that a lawyer's notice of unavailability has no legal significance in determining the reasonableness in the way that a deposition was scheduled and that a lawyer's absence during the discovery phase does not automatically justify a moratorium on depositions. That's the Letzke case in the show notes, L-E-I-T-Z-K-E. Sometimes you'll hear, well, my client's too ill to appear for her deposition, which in some cases may even be supported by a doctor's note. That's the Cologne case, C-A-L-O-N-E case in the show notes. In that decision, a federal judge in California actually invited the defense to renew a motion for terminating sanctions. Fancy talk for a motion seeking dismissal of the entire case as a sanction where the plaintiff repeatedly claimed to be too ill to appear for her deposition. Uh, the opinion in that case makes it clear that the defense apparently bent over backwards to accommodate the plaintiff, including offering to depose her at home, to limit examination to one hour a day, and to allow the deponent multiple breaks. Uh, at least according to the opinion, the plaintiff rejected all of those proposals and continued to refuse uh, to agree to a deposition date. Sometimes it's, well, I wanna take your client's deposition first, so let me look for dates for that, and then we can work on yours. Again, sometimes legitimate, sometimes you may want the adversary to go first, but it's a frequent stalling tactic. And under the federal rules since 1970, and in most state jurisdictions, there is no automatic right anyway of priority in who gets to go first in setting depositions. Prior to 1970, under the federal rules at least, priority to question a witness was given to the party who issued the notice of deposition. That rule, that language was abolished in the 1970 iteration of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. And the current version of Rule 26 specifically says, unless the parties stipulate or the court orders otherwise for the parties and witnesses convenience and in the interests of justice, A, methods of discovery may be used in any sequence, and B, discovery by one party does not require any other party to delay its discovery. Okay. So that's where I'll leave it with you. Absent unusual circumstances, five efforts to obtain mutually agreeable dates is the right number. Of course, you'll want to document those five requests and not simply do them verbally because otherwise you're likely to have a problem of a different kind. Space your efforts out. Again, as I said, and quite obviously, you understand this, don't make five requests in a single day or five requests five days in a row. Allow some breathing room but do it in writing and around the third effort, tell the opponent or the witness that you will make two more attempts for a total of five. Tell them 
on that third request that after the fifth request, you will unilaterally set them. Tell them that even after you unilaterally set them, you will still work to cooperate on mutual dates, but that you will not release the unilaterally noticed deposition dates until you have a binding agreement on other dates for the depositions. All right, that's it for today. Uh, thank you as always for listening and be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice. Available on Amazon and just about everywhere else books are sold. Now in its third edition at 450 pages. Have a great day.